right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, the final lesson of this week, lesson 20, 1 Peter 2. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think, like, we've already gone through the book of James. Uh, we've gone through the initial chapter of 1 Peter. So if you're just joining us, we're going through the general letters. <clears throat> There's eight general letters in the New Testament. Uh, and we are with literally the guy. Uh, yes, you have the Apostle Paul, but when it comes to being leaders of the church, I, I can't think of a better one than Peter. <clears throat> yeah, Peter had his moments, don't get me wrong, but that's kind of the beauty of this whole thing of Peter. I mean, you think about Peter's life. He denied Christ three times. Remember this? He's up on a roof. Do you remember this? He's up on a rooftop and it takes three times the sheet to drop down to say you need to participate with unclean things. And Peter's like, I don't touch those kind of things. Remember this? But because of this, Peter then goes downstairs, there's men waiting, and then he begins to share the gospel with, with the Gentiles. Like three different times, Peter needed to see the sheet drop. Three different times, Peter's interacting with Jesus in John 21, and Jesus says three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Like what I love about Peter is, is that he has had the most close and intimate relationship with Christ as anybody you'll find. And he's had a lot of mess ups. And he's had a lot of lessons. And he's seen a lot. And now he's speaking to those that are going to and are encountering persecution. Rome has been burned down roughly between 80, 64, really in 67. Really, Kevin, we're articulating that this thing has been written, possibly, possibly. He's writing to these residents that are spread all over. In fact, we have a map up here into five regions, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So here you have these regions. This is who Paul's, uh, Peter's writing to. So Peter understands what I love about apostles, specifically Peter and Paul, is that these guys have been through it. They understand what it means to go through this. And now they're trying to encourage these guys in these areas to keep going. And how do you keep going? Well, a phrase that we have in 1 Peter, it's a pretty straightforward one. It comes from 1 Peter 1, 3. We didn't make it too far yesterday. The phrase is that through the resurrection of Christ, we have a living hope our new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as the persecution takes place, as the suffering takes place, as the pressures of worldliness begins to creep in, you guys, please don't give in to this. We are to walk out practical holiness. That's why it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 1, and you're going to see through the first three verses, kind of this establishment of being set apart, this establishment of holiness. So he says, so rid yourselves of all malice. This word malice, uh, uh, J. Vernon McGee says, is, this is kind of interesting, concealed anger. Rid yourself of this concealed anger because what it does is it creates an unforgiving spirit. So when you hear this phrase malice, if somebody said somebody's name in your life and you didn't even know it was there and you're like, whoa, and you had a, a bad thought, right? You had a bad thought about a person or about a church or about a town that might be something of, maybe I need to forgive this person. So rid yourself of these types of situations. And he says, rid yourselves of malice, rid yourselves of deceit. This word deceit, guile, like it's a spirit of, um, let me put it this way. You have this uh, plan to get even with somebody. So you're going to do whatever it takes to get to that point. And so what you want to do is, is that Peter says you need to rid yourself from any opportunity of the flesh working. Set yourself from malice, set yourself from deceit, uh, the hypocrite, like don't talk about it if, unless you're going to walk about it. <laughs> uh, envy, in other words, you have this uh, ill will towards somebody because they have 
something that you don't have. They have an advantage that you don't have. So what do you do? You have envy towards these people. And then there's another language is that you don't you speak evil about somebody. You speak slander. Peter says, guys, wherever you're at in these regions, get rid of this stuff. I love how Peter just speaks so forthright because then he says in verse two, remember, we're, we're after one thing here. I want you to begin to walk out holiness. I want you to be set apart. So like newborns, I'm in first Peter two, two, uh, like newborn infants desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now let's back up to verse two. This whole newborn infants, when you obviously are born, they desire milk from their mom. Like that's what they need to survive. So like a new baby in Christ, we need to desire, right, this spiritual milk, this growth that will allow us to, to occur. And so we need to desire the word of God. We need to desire areas in which we can grow, grow by it for our salvation. When we walk in, I love this word desire. This word desire, McGee says, uh, actually, this comes from Nelson's commentary. It's not just you want something. It's you long for it with all of your being. Hey, tomorrow we get to read 1 Peter 3. I have to. The next day it's 1 Peter 4. Really? I'll do it. That would not be the description of desire. <laughs> I have to. Really? Like, ah, oh, like, you know, I get it. There are certain books of the Bible you kind of have to fight through. Okay, a little bit. But the image is, you guys, we should want everything about us to soak up 1 Peter 2 today. Like that's the image because that allows us to separate ourselves from the things of the flesh. This is kind of a cool picture. And and why do you want this? Because it says you've tasted that the Lord is good because you have uh, a moment of justification, a moment when you've been justified through the death, burial and resurrection of Christ because you have been saved. You want to know more about the Lord. And you remember, Kevin, when we went through these 10 points of what living hope is. You remember this when we talked about how, and I think this is an an interesting illustration. In fact, Kevin, if you can go to uh, Romans 15, 4, I think this is an interesting one. It's, It's almost like when we understand what living hope is, look at this. It says, for whatever, in Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. That's us, you and me. Why? So we may have hope through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures. When you are in the word, hope becomes established more and more and more in your life, which allows us to understand this message of holiness. (laughs) So I think one of the issues in the church today is that if we don't have a desire for spiritual milk, um, we probably won't understand and grow in the area of holiness. We're stagnant. Can you imagine being 40 years old and maybe this happens to people. I don't know if there's health conditions, but you're 40 years old and you're still drinking 2% milk and that's all you're drinking. Can you imagine if they're like, hey, want a hot dog? Sorry, can't have it. It's too, it's too much meat. <laughs> you, you know what I'm implying? Like you could only eat Cheerios and milk. Wouldn't that be kind of a funny? Like if you ate everything that a kid ate at 40 years old, that'd be weird. I think that's kind of what Peter's saying. It's time to grow up, kids. Let go of these things. And then he says in verse four, now that you are understanding that holiness comes through the word of God, here's where we get into this unbelievable picture that first Peter is known for. 
He says in 1 Peter 2, 4, coming to him and him being a living stone. So this living stone is Christ coming to him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. All right, let's let's just go here for a while. This is a fun one. OK, obviously coming to him. Look at this rock, this stone. I do think it's interesting. What does Peter's name mean? Rock. Peter's name means rock. Can also be interpreted as a stone. And so here you have this same il- illustration. He describes Jesus literally as a living stone. Now, this is kind of a weird phrase for me. No offense, but when I think of a rock, Kevin, I don't think of anything breathing in that. Usually we think of a rock as dead. Dead. Nothing, right. like you said, nothing about it is alive. That's right. So, but yet there's, they have function, they have uh, weight they have foundation to them and now you talk about a living stone and in my mind like it even says at something some point if we don't praise the lord the rocks will cry out well we don't have any mindset of that but it's just it's the complete opposite of what we see physically you know the illustration in the past has been a temple it's been a building it's been a stone We'll get into the chief cornerstone. Could it could it just be that that is dead and in the past? And now here we have Christ, a living stone that that's now our that like we now are the temple. Like there's something there, I think, to this. Now, watch, walk through this with me, you guys. And those are great pictures. Matthew 21, 42 through 44. Matthew 21, 42 through 44. Look what the scripture here talks about. Jesus said to them, have you have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. Verse 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing its fruit. Verse 44. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but whoever who, on whoever it falls on, it will grind him to powder. So Christ, back in 42, really this bigger picture, Kevin talks about the builders are going to reject this quote-unquote cornerstone, right? Christ is alluding to himself. Peter in Acts 4.11 identifies this stone, this rock, as Christ. In Acts 4 verse 11, remember this, Peter is communicating this message, right? He says, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. So Jesus says there's going to be a stone that's going to be rejected by builders. Peter then says in Acts 4, part of his message, this stone is clearly Jesus. So that's what we're having here, coming to him, a living stone. Now, this is an anticipation of what we're going to get through in verse six through eight. So here you have Christ being identified as a living stone, and it's a part of something that's been rejected by men. Now, if you reject this stone, John 3, 18 is pretty clear about what happens. If you reject Christ as the living stone, John 3, verse 18 says this, anybody who believes in him is not judged. But anyone who does not believe is already judged because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only son of God. In other words, you are already judged because you've rejected the cornerstone. Another reference would be Romans uh, 1. It's kind of a bigger one, Kevin. Help me here with this one. Romans 1, 18 through 23. Romans 1, 18 through 23. These are the words of the apostle Paul. Now, look what, this ha- look, look what the, the language is, is that, that God's wrath is revealed against all godlessness and righteousness of people who by their unrighteousness, look at this, suppress the truth. They reject the rock. 
since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. So God's wrath clearly is coming on to his, those people that don't believe in him. And then in verse 20, it describes all his invisible attributes. In other words, there are no people in the creation of the world, literally, that has an excuse. He says, as a result, people are without uh, excuse. For though they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense. Their senseless minds were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. In 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. In other words, they put all of their stock in anything but the chief cornerstone. And because of that, Romans 1 says they will experience the wrath of God. Peter says when you come to him, he is a living stone. He is rejected by men, but chosen. This is really awesome and valuable to God. Now watch this transition. I like what Nelson's commentary says. You have a chance to participate in God's holiness. This is what he's saying. He says, look, Christ is the living stone. But now he says, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is kind of an interesting picture. We are believers. We're living stones. Christ is a living stone, right? That's pretty clear. And we are living stones. If you go to Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, Kevin, please. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. Scripture says, since then, uh, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Look at this. With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So I don't know. Uh, Rich, have we ever had you? Can you? Well, Kevin, come on up here. Just come on up, Kevin. Okay, Kevin, you get the marker here. Can you draw a cornerstone and then draw little stones around it, representing Jesus as the cornerstone, and then we are the living stones? Let's see. I see Kevin laughing at some of my drawings. Let's just see how Kevin's doing here. I, I think this is an interesting picture here. Which, Kevin, you're doing great, by the way. Not many people get to see Kevin on this side. And Kevin, you do an incredible job teaching with me, by the way. Uh, your skills on drawing. Uh, pretty good, too. Okay, so you have your chief, chief stone. This is good, Kevin. I like this. And then what do we have over here? These are, are the apostles and the prophets, even, you could even say, to some extent. And then Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Kevin, well done. Nice drawing. Thank you, guys. Uh, Rich, Tom, can we give him a... I'm impressed. Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. And as a result, we are the living stones. And look, here's what's cool is, is that... Now, Kevin, the one thing I thought maybe you might do is, is technically this is all supposed to go together, correct? So can I just, I'm totally going to screw up your building here. Somehow, some way, these are connected, correct? And so that's what I love about this picture. If you'll go back, Kevin, uh, specifically into verse 5, it says we are being built into a spiritual house. We are being built into around Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. And the scripture then talks about this holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right. We kind of have a lot here. Let's begin to uh, let me come back. I got a couple more things I want to get into. So we constitute at, constitute as a living temple. OK, this thing is alive. This thing is not dead. This is not the temple of the old. This is alive and active. And here's what I love about what J. Vernon McGee says. He says, this constitutes a living temple temple in which spiritual sacrifices consist of, think about this, praise, possessions, and even, 
people. Like one person. This is what, these are the things that are alive and active. Because of us being these living stones, we can praise, we can bring our possessions, we can bring ourselves to this with him as our chief cornerstone. And that cornerstone, Kevin, serves as what purpose? It holds everything together. It holds everything together. And isn't it really kind of the starting point as well? Yeah. It's kind of everything is based off of the chief cornerstone. So this is kind of where you can like, you have the living hope, you have chief shepherd, you have a cornerstone. He is the living stone. It's a pretty cool picture about what we have. And here's what I like. This is an interesting, the stones in this context in verse five, and I didn't come up with this. I, I like this image here. It comes from MacArthur. The stones are ready for construction. The stones are ready to be used with the chief cornerstone. They're not dead. They're not over to the side. They are ready to be used. They're being built into a spiritual house. Just a simple question. As a living stone, are you participating in the work of God? Are you participating in Christ being the cornerstone? And you actually have a part in this. Because then you say, well, what's my part? Well, we're a holy priesthood. This is a cool picture to me we can begin to exemplify the role of Christ as the high priest. We can start playing this role to offer spiritual sacrifices. The spiritual sacrifices are the praise, the possessions of the people. You guys, acceptable to God through Christ. Remember how I said each verse you could literally make about a sermon every, like every week? (laughs) This would be one of those. Verse five says, this is our lives. You guys, we are constantly being built into the spiritual house. In verse six, it says, It is contained in scripture. Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone drawn by Kevin. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. You know what that says? We have a living hope. If you go back to the role, if we're talking about our role as living stones, And if our role is holiness, right, which is the way we express that is, is that we're living stones. And then the scripture says we are being built right into what? Into, to say, a spiritual house. Okay, so if we're coming into a spiritual house and we know that we're supposed to be, uh, you know, offering spiritual sacrifices, right? Well, that that has an understanding that you and I are part of the holy priesthood. I, I don't feel like I can pass this one up. Think about this up until this point. okay? and realistically, Kevin, if this is before 80, 70, the temple is still in Jerusalem. Now, I know that he's writing to folks that aren't hanging out in Jerusalem, but the temple is still there. The Jews are still there. They're obviously playing. There's a role of priests still coming and making these sacrifices. Right now, Peter says clearly the sacrifices now come through Christ. But when he says we're a holy priesthood, if I'm thinking, I'm like, wait a minute, what's. What does that mean? If I am a living stone to be based on the chief cornerstone, and I like what MacArthur says. I'm not going to write these things down. But he says, look, both the Old Testament priests and New Testament believer priests, okay, if that makes sense, we are both by elect privilege. So both of us, remember we talked about this yesterday, both of us have been calling, both of us have been chosen in a foreknowledge from God the Father. So God has chosen us in this role. And then he continues on. Both of us are cleansed from sin. I mean, priests have to be in this position. Now, we know that in the Old Testament, we know they're not perfect, but they have to go through this cleansing process in order to come through this process. We know that we have been cleansed from sin through Christ. 
But there's this language of cleansing from sin. Both our Old Testament priests and us, both of us are, have been clothed for service. You know that the scripture says we have been put, we've been given the robe of righteousness. <laughs> both of us have been anointed for service. Isn't that a cool picture? As the holy priesthood making spiritual sacrifices. Now here's what you have to understand, you guys. No longer are we coming with actual lambs and sacrificing them. It comes through the Lamb of Christ. We've been anointed to do this. We are prepared to do this. We have been ordained to walk out in obedience. Both of us are to honor God's word. Both of us are to walk with God. Both of us are to impact sinners. And both of us are called to be messengers of God. I do believe that the Old Testament priests, the Levitical priests, point to a foreshadow when Christ says we are the holy priesthood. I believe that there is a representation that we can reflect. No, we're not killing animals and bringing sacrifices. That happens through Christ once and done. But I do think, folks, uh, we don't have an exempt pass that says we don't have to do anything in the spiritual house. Well, let's leave that up to the pastor. We pay him. Let's leave that to the missionaries. They travel. There's actually no... (laughs) There's no ordination or paperwork that says you have to do this. There's no seminary degree. There's no college degree. There's no master's. There's no doctorate. Because of who you are in Christ, with him being your chief cornerstone, you're a living stone. You are supposed to be doing this as well. Your holy priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices. But when's the last time you woke up and said, man, it's good to be a holy priest today. (laughs) I think we leave that to the paid people, don't we? We leave, we leave that. And so what happens is the paid people say, you can't do that because if I tell you you to do that, then you might be taking away some of my job. So we got to be careful on the leadership side that we don't communicate that. That if you're not Baptist, if you're not Methodist, if you're not an AG ordained pastor, you guys, when we communicate that truth, it's not biblical. As living stones, we are being built into a spiritual house that we got to walk as holy priests based on the new covenant all through the living hope which comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you study the, the epistle of 1 Peter, it's so rich. And it's easy to read past this. It's easy to, to look past this drawing and say, well, praise God, there's a stone. You are the living stone. You are being built to draw people to Christ. And Peter says in verse 6, this is pretty awesome. He references the prophetic word of Isaiah. And he says, Christ is this stone. In verse 7, it says, So honor will come to you who believe. Uh, The the Nelson says, uh, in the original Greek, the honor is to you who believe. It helps clear it up a little bit. The honor is one who comes to you who believe. But so honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for this. In other words, I actually think that uh, God desires for everybody to embrace this stone. Right. That's a fair picture. John 316. I remember talking to a lady from uh, Ghana here in Richardson, and she just said, Clearly, God plays favorites. I said, not according to John 3, 16. God so loved the world 
in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have ever eternal life. Clearly, the, the whole point of, of this message from Christ is that everybody, Kevin, would embrace the chief cornerstone. But some will stumble over it. Some have a rock to trip over. And then here we go in verse 9. It's like, let's talk about it again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we begin to unpack this phrase, uh, this chosen race, this chosen generation, J. Vernon McGee says these are believers who belong to a chosen generation because of the new birth. This is the generation. This is the race that you have because of who Christ is. In John 6, 37, can you go there for me, please? John 6, verse 37. Scripture says, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. (laughs) I like what J. Vernon McGee says based on this verse. He says, If anybody wants to know if you belong... The real test is, is have you come to him? The real test is, is if you come to him, he will embrace you. If you want to be a part of the chosen race, the chosen generation, embrace Christ. Scripture then describes this royal priesthood. Kevin, I think this is the same image. Israel had a priesthood. The church now has this holy priesthood as well. We are a royal priesthood. And look at this, a holy nation set apart because of our position and posture in Christ. That's what makes us a holy nation. That's what makes us distinct. That's what makes us different. We are a nation now, and I like this, with a new entity in the world. Think about that, you guys. We have our own nation. And that kind of, it's kind of a a cool way of looking at it because of the kingdom of God. There's an interesting phrase, though. It says, a people for his possession. The King James calls it a peculiar people. (laughs) A people for his possession it doesn't imply, J. Vernon McGee says, you're not, it's not like you're oddballs or you're weird. It literally means you're a people for acquisition, a people for God's own possession. And he says, our role is to proclaim the praises who called us out of darkness. The praises of the one who called us out. So look, look at all of these roles. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. And so that we can talk about all that God has done in our lives. And then finally, in verse 10, it says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but you have, but now you have received mercy. This is a pretty, pretty awesome picture. I think I just, I'm going to leave it at that today. There's more in 11 and on. It really talks about uh, embracing this living amidst the suffering. It talks about Christ's suffering. It talks about our suffering. And the reality is, is that Christ, um, in verse 25, it says, Even though we were sheep going astray, you've now returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. This is what I love about this. Even when we're walking in holiness, even when we're walking out as a royal uh, priesthood, as a chosen race, as a holy nation, when we're walking out these things, we're not on our own. Christ truly is shepherding us in the process doesn't mean we're going to have it perfect doesn't mean we're going to get it all right 
but that's what he's asking us to do, to look more like him. You see, there's a justification point when you've accepted Christ. You're in the state of holiness. This is what we're talking about, to get to the point of glorification when we will see perfection on the other side of heaven. And Peter says, guys, I need you to start living this thing out. And Jesus will be with you in the process. All right, guys, have an incredible day. We'll continue 1 Peter 3 tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.